Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What, like it's hard? Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. I hope you're doing well. We have a great show today. I know that we always have great shows, so thanks so much for continuing to tune in. If it's your first time here, welcome to Eco Chic. It's so nice to see you. And I hope that everyone is settling into 2021 nicely. I feel like the first few weeks of 2021, especially around the inauguration, the insurrection, the Georgia Senate runoffs, things have been so nuts in the news. I am actually living for all of this stock market drama because it gives me something to focus on that is not directly correlated with my work and climate change, and it gives me something that is not what I've been focusing on for the last, I mean, four years, but you know what I mean. It's something different, so it's kind of nice. And I've also been really enjoying Deluxe by Dana Thomas. If you didn't hear, we are starting a book club. It's going to be an extra episode each month. We're going to read a book as a community, and then we're going to chat about it with a special guest each month. And this month's book is Dana Thomas's Deluxe how luxury lost its luster and it's a really interesting behind the scenes expose of the luxury fashion world and why certain brands cost what they do and why some are not worth what they cost and the supply chain issues with it and what does it mean to really give luxury fashion such a large platform if we're producing it at such a high rate then is it really luxury and it's a really interesting read so far and we're going to be reading that and reviewing it at the end of the month. I think the tentative date for that episode is going to be February 19th. So if you want to join us, pick up your copy of Deluxe by Dana Thomas. I'm looking forward to reading it and chatting about it with you and with Megan McSherry of Activism. However, today we are in store for a fabulous, fabulous episode. We're chatting with Dr. Mamina. Dr. Mamina Turigano is a triple board certified dermatologist, internist, and dermatopathologist. Dr. Mamina's content has, in recent months, completely taken off and taken the internet by storm because she provides these science-backed, bite-sized educational moments, focusing on the science of skincare and research-backed answers to rituals or products. And she also shares content featuring her mom, which I love, and we discuss the more natural, anecdotal, cultural skincare practices that have been passed down. And that's shared in conjunction with Dr. Mamina's more medical background. Dr. Mamina has a unique, special interest in connecting how things beyond medicine influence skin health. And her practice and teachings really evaluate how nutrition and lifestyle and sleep and environmental factors can play a significant role in things like inflammation and aging and chronic disease. In addition to her content and her public-facing platforms, Mamina does practice full-time and she incorporates these holistic practices in her patients, dealing with anything from acne to warts. Again, with her internal medicine background, she has an interest in autoimmune diseases, psoriasis, internal issues that often have skin manifestations, and she shares all of that with us. She takes us down the whole road of her medical background and how she got into this complex, multifaceted niche. 
And we also talk about skincare topics like acne and aging and anti-aging. And I have spoken in the past at length about clean beauty and clean skincare because those are topics that I'm personally interested in and that really align with this show. But Dr. Mamina gives us the guidelines to think more critically about ingredients and when is over-the-counter better than prescription medicine and when is clean beauty not the answer. Overall, this is a really fascinating conversation about skin, ingredients, holistic wellness, one that I deeply, deeply enjoyed and I know that you will too. If you do like this episode, we also spoke about skincare and skin ingredients with Jessica Defino. It was probably about three or four episodes ago, and I can link that in the show notes. That was more on the science of skincare and the layers of your skin and when natural is best in those cases. So another fascinating conversation. Dr. Romina's content is wherever you want to find her. I'm going to share all of the promos and link to everything on social media. If you would like to get in touch with me, that is at Eco Chic Podcast. Wherever you want to connect with me on social media, all of those links will also be in the show notes. And with that, I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. I'm so excited for you to listen to it and to tell me your thoughts and to get into it. Again, this was one that I so deeply enjoyed. Mamina is someone who I really liked talking to. I mean, I like having conversations with all of our guests, but she was just so warm and friendly in all of the things that she shared with me. And because her content is so science-backed and technical, I'm always impressed when people can share those kinds of topics in such a friendly way. So I think that you're going to really enjoy this. I hope you get a lot out of it, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Enjoy. Today's episode of Eco Chic is brought to you by Etitude, one of my very favorite home brands. I'm someone who thinks a lot about the environmental impact of my purchases, and I'm also a hot sleeper. It's kind of gross, maybe it's TMI, but if I'm in sheets that are too thick or even a little too scratchy, I'm going to wake up sweating and miserable. Etitude sheets are silky, silky soft, luxuriously soft. I always use the word delicious to describe the Etitude sheets because it really does feel like you're being wrapped in the nicest thing possible. Etitude sheets are also made of organic, clean bamboo that is extremely breathable. It's actually thermoregulating, so it seriously improves the quality of your sleep, so you're never too hot, you're never too cold. My favorite fun fact also is that their silky fabric is vegan because it's made from bamboo. Did you know that regular silk isn't vegan? Plus, silk sheets can get crazy expensive. If you're looking for the best sleep that you can get, why not try Etitude? Their amazing sheets have a 30-day risk-free trial, and they'll even cover the shipping cost of returns. Etitude sheets are soft as silk, breathable as linen, but at the price of cotton. You're going to love them. When you support our sponsors, you support our show. And right now, my listeners will get 15% off their sheet set and free shipping. Just enter the code ECO15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. The only way to get that 15% off your set of Etitude sheets and free shipping is to enter ECO15 at checkout. That's ECO15, E-C-O-1-5, at checkout for 15% off your Etitude order. Now let's get into our episode. Dr. Mamina, I am thrilled to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. And I would love to just open up our conversation hearing a little bit about your career path, because I think that you, like I mentioned before, have 
such compelling content and you also practice full time. So tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, it, it's, it was a pretty long journey. My interest in medicine, I think, was there since I was, since I was young, since I was, I don't know, maybe even during elementary school, but I never really thought that it was truly a career that I was going to pursue. I was always interested in science. I was good at math. So I somehow ended up on that kind of pre-med path, but, but it wasn't something that I always wanted to be my whole life. My interest in health did start, I think, more so in college. I saw the, how nutrition played a big role in health, and I started really getting into actually alternative forms of medicine, holistic medicine, naturopathic medicine, and I was thinking about going to naturopathic school, actually. I wanted to make sure that I did have you know, a solid science background and education in medicine, and I decided to go the conventional route by pursuing allopathic medicine, so getting my medical degree. And during medical school, actually, there was an integrative medicine interest group, and I was president of that because I was still very interested in that and wanting to incorporate that in whatever future practice I was going to do. And I was just planning on really going into primary care, whether it was family medicine or internal medicine. And during my internal medicine rotation, my third, my third year of medical school, I did a subset of internal medicine specialty called rheumatology. And in rheumatology, you know, you deal with autoimmune diseases ranging from like rheumatoid arthritis to lupus. And a lot of autoimmune diseases have skin manifestations. And I, I had this kind of affinity towards these patients. And I was like, huh, maybe there is something more to dermatology than like Botox um, and skincare. And I, I was like, okay, okay, maybe I'm going to give dermatology a chance. And, you know, dermatology is actually one of the most competitive medical fields out there you know, people usually know early on and they prepare for it. They try to get things published. They do research. And I was not that at all. And usually you're like the super top of your class. You're like the top 10%. I, I wasn't in the top 10% of my class, but I, I got in, I got in by the skin of my teeth. I was so fortunate. And what was so cool is that there's five residency programs that have a combined program with internal medicine. And I, I wanted to also pursue that because I was interested in more complex medical conditions like autoimmune type skin diseases. And I got really lucky and got into my first choice, which is the Georgetown program that had the combined internal medicine and dermatology program. And yeah, then it just kind of went from there. After after residency, I decided to do a fellowship in dermatopathology. During med school, I loved pathology. I loved just seeing skin cells or any kind of cells under the microscope. And when you do dermatology residency, you have to learn so much pathology because we do so many skin biopsies as dermatologists and 30% of our board exam is at the microscope for dermatologists. And so it just kind of reignited my love for pathology. And I decided to pursue this fellowship in dermatopathology. And that was out in Los Angeles. My family is all here in New Orleans. And because um, my sister, she was unfortunately in a really bad car accident. She was hit by a car in 2015 and it left her immobile, nonverbal. And it, you know, it was obviously so tough for my family. And then my father became ill two years after my sister's accident and ended up passing away from metastatic cancer. It was really rough. And um, I just really wanted to be back here with my family. And I was not planning on coming back to Louisiana. I actually grew up in New York um, and we moved down here when I was 16. My, dad, my dad's from New Orleans originally, but um, 
I was loving it out in LA and, you know, I just felt really drawn to come back here. And now that I'm here, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. And I, I joined a private practice group, Moreland suburb and been doing that. And then, and with social media, gosh, that's sort of, sort of started organically. I think that I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy, I guess, um, educating, I guess it's, it sounds like you are really drawn to people. It sounds like you're so drawn to when we talk about like internal health and those more skin manifestations, like you were saying, it sounds like you're so drawn to this kind of holistic, you know, like your philosophy of healing beyond prescription. Mm -hmm. So I feel Mm -hmm. like it makes total sense that your personality would draw you to social media. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I say thanks to my mom who people love because I featured her in a few videos and her natural Japanese, you know, anti-aging tips. Um, My social media pages have exploded and it's been really fun doing that. So yeah, that's, and that's where I am today. Wow. Well, that is a long road and I feel like you've accomplished so much. I have to say, I'm one of those people that loves your mom. Like I, I adore your mom. I love all of your mom content. (laughs) And I think something that's so cool about the content that you create with your mom is that you have this formal medical background and your mom talks a lot about her skincare rituals. And when -hmm. we talk about rituals, that seems so different from what I immediately think of when I think of dermatology, because I think of a prescription, I think like when I was 16 and I was prescribed Accutane, like things like that. That's Mm -hmm. what I think Mm -hmm. of when I think of my dermatologist. So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear about growing up those rituals that your mom instilled in you. Like what did skincare look like for you as a young girl? That's a great question. She definitely made sure that we washed our faces every day. And she was also very, very pro sunscreen. I think in, interestingly in Japanese culture, pale skin is revered. And um, even my Japanese grandmother would be so upset if I was like running around outside for prolonged periods of time. And, and as a high schooler, I have to admit, I was just, I would sit up by the pool and just like lay out and my mom would, would just get so upset. So, so she did, recommend that you know we wash our face regularly and use sunscreen um but it didn't really go much further than that she she was but she was a super health nut and so to her she also thought eating well manifested with your skin manifested onto your skin too and so so that was a huge part of how she kind of wanted us to keep ourselves and our skin healthy yeah I love that my mom said the same thing about sunscreen growing up and I think as a teenager, I wanted nothing more than to sit out by the pool with tanning oil and just get, you know, bronzy. And yeah, um, it never truly happened for me because I just don't have that kind of skin that tans very nicely. But it taught me the importance of sunscreen. And I think something that also was really big was hats. Like I love how fashionable hats can be now because it's keeping your skin away from the sun. And I'd love to also hear about from your background. Now, when we talk about sunscreen, do you feel like sunscreen is kind of becoming more of a forefront conversation in the skincare industry? I think so. I know because typically when you hear sunscreen, it does not sound glamorous at all. It doesn't sound like it's going to magically make you look younger, like some of these other creams are touted to do. But we are seeing that it's probably playing the biggest role in one's skincare routine. And I like to compare it to going on a diet 
so when when it comes to like losing weight, there's avoiding like the foods that are bad for you and then also exercising and and calorie balance, whatever. But I ref I think of sunscreen as like avoiding the foods that are bad for you because that that probably plays the biggest role in weight loss. Exercising, of course, plays a role in weight loss, but people say it's like 80% in the kitchen, 20% like exercise or whatever. Um, and and so I think with sunscreen too, it's so much easier to just avoid avoid the environmental factors that contribute to aging than it is to fix them. Yeah, you said something there that I also love so much about your content is environmental factors. And I would love to kind of dive deep into that term. When you say environmental factors, are we thinking just simply the sun? Are we thinking the water? Are we thinking what what does it look like to be an environmental threat almost to skin health and, and overall wellness? Yeah, the main thing, yes, UV rays for sure contribute to DNA damage and accelerated aging and skin cancer. But there are also things like pollution, which you know particles can get into your skin, cause skin damage, makeup too. And if you're around people who smoke cigarettes or whatnot, there's that, I guess that could be included with pollutants. So those would be like the main physical kind of aggressors, I would say for skin aging. I'm just thinking from a mainstream media perspective, when we talk about skin health and things sitting on your skin, I feel like it's always portrayed as something in your pores that you need to exfoliate out or that you need to do one of those like blackhead nose things that rips off all the blackheads. Mm -hmm, um, so mm -hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit actually about your take on those things kind of over the counter, like solutions, quote unquote, to our skincare concerns. Over the counter products, there's a lot out there and there are so many great products out there. And yes, there are definitely some products that I, I would recommend avoiding. In terms of over-the-counter products, I mean, when it comes to acne, the I mean, salicylic acid and benzoyl peroxide are like the two go-to starter ingredients. More recently, retinoids. So there's retinols, but there's a more active form of retinoids that I would say are superior when it comes to treating acne. And they used to only be prescription, but now there's over-the-counter adapalene. There's three brands now that have the over-the-counter adapalene strength, the adapalene 0.1%. That's Differin. La Roche-Posay has one called Effaclar. And then Proactive also just came out with one. So when it comes to acne health, making sure your pores are clear too, those, those ingredients are available. And then of course, sunscreen. Um, so many great brands out there with great just over-the-counter sunscreen products and even cleansers and moisturizers. Um, and when I recommend cleansers, I usually recommend using gentle cleansers. Um, unless you have oily skin, you could certainly use a salicylic acid cleanser. And then there's also some other gentle exfoliating cleansers, but that's gonna, I mean, I feel like that's kind of going into another whole topic of conversation. And then moisturizers, there's a wide range of great moisturizers over the counter. I didn't know if you want me to go into brands, but um, in terms of- This is a lot more than I was expecting, which I love oh, okay. so much. I love that you're such a wealth of knowledge. No, I really do. I guess I'm curious also to know when we acknowledge that there is such great products that are available over the counter, what are some things that you see people trying to solve with over-the-counter products that should really be left up to a medical professional? Yes, great question. I think a lot of people, the main thing is acne, especially cystic acne. Don't get me wrong, there are so many great over-the-counter products that are completely sufficient for 
for early mild to moderate acne. But for acne that's just deeper under the skin that really involves more than just the face, also involves chest or back, uh, prescription medicines do work better for that. And I see people using products and irritating their skin because they think more is better harsher products are better and and it it upsets me because I've, sometimes i wonder I'm like do people know that there's such a thing as a dermatologist that um that you can see and there's so many now now with covid i think the access is so much easier now whether it is self-pay but i mean very affordable access and i think insurance companies too are just putting more laxity on rules with seeing a dermatologist online. Like I'm seeing a lot of people from out of state. So you can get a lot of good guidance from a dermatologist. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I think telehealth is having a very interesting moment in the spotlight right now with COVID. I am thrilled to see how telehealth continues beyond the pandemic because I feel like it's it, it does allow people to have access to specialists that they may not otherwise, especially when we're thinking about rural communities, or if you just yeah. don't have the time to go to see a doctor or something like that. I think telehealth has, has really changed that. I completely agree. Yeah. So much more accessible. My next question, I'm, I feel like I'm just shooting at you because I have so much going it. on in my head when we talk I about this. I feel like this. there's, yeah, no, I have lots to say. <laughs> Love it. When we talk about over-the-counter versus more formal prescription medicine, that also immediately makes me think of natural skincare versus more mainstream traditional skincare. So I would love to get your take on natural skincare or what whatever that may mean for you, because natural is a pretty unregulated word from mm-hmm. everything that I've gathered. It, it really means nothing to say eco-conscious skincare, yeah. clean skincare. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't really hold any value. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what your takes are on the, I guess, clean skincare industry as a whole. Yeah. Well, I completely agree with you. It's such natural, the word natural, the word clean, these are such unregulated terms. So it's kind of hard to define, but as a concept, I can completely understand why it has boomed so much over the last, I guess, decade, five, at least in the last five years. And I think people are upset. People are upset with just how much chronic disease is so present in our world. I'm seeing it as a physician. I just see rampant cases of like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart attacks, obesity, hypothyroidism, like the number one medicine that was prescribed. And I forget if it was like last year or the year before was levothyroxine, which is the thyroid supplement hormone that's used to treat hypothyroidism and acne. So if you talk to like old school dermatologists from like 30 years ago, they did not see the same level of acne as we do today. So it makes you think like what's going on and and it could be so many things. And so I think it's forcing people to look at our environment. And when I say environment, I mean like everything from agriculture to the food industry, to our skincare, to our water, to like the electromagnetic field radiation that we're dealing with, with cell phones. Like people are just kind of like pausing and like re-examining, okay, what's going on in our environment? Why the hell are we all suffering so much more from chronic diseases? And so I get it. Like I, I can see why there's this, huge surge in this interest in clean skincare and clean, you know, anything like clean, like cleaning products, you know, like 
using like toxin-free stuff to clean your shower with. Yeah, people are just, you know, seeing those, oh, like endocrine disruptors, plastics, like, and, and I think the clean beauty movement is just part of that. It's just part of that. And so the question is, is just what is it based off of? And I think that there have been case reports of issues like people seeing like paraben collections in like breast tissue and people with breast cancer. And I hate even saying that because that was just case reports. They've since debunked the fact that parabens have anything to do with breast cancer. But just things like that, I think, really scare people and without even huge scientific studies. And then so then it like creates this huge just, you know, domino effect with the industries just changing the way they make products and whatnot. So I think when it comes to clean beauty, it's important to see, okay, what are they, what are the ingredients that they're touting as toxic? And if this is something that is really held up in the scientific literature, because a lot of products, we talk about parabens, we'll say paraben free, but like, what is it in the scientific literature that's really saying that parabens cause all these things? And it's still, it's still up in the air. But then that's a whole nother thing. It's like, if there is a few reports, shouldn't we just play it safe and just eliminate it from everything? But you can do that with so many things and then, and then it just gets crazy. So anyways, that's my kind of spiel about clean beauty. I, I do though respect it because I think that it's just a sign that people are trying to make a conscientious effort to you know help our world, help everyone's health help to help people get better. But, but I don't know, it's, it's, it's something that I think needs a little bit more examining. Right. Well, I think also what you're mentioning about parabens is that when we do tout certain ingredients as toxic or harmful or whatever we're labeling them as, you have to replace it with something. If we're talking about preservatives, what is it that you're replacing it with? And is that actually, you know, worse, quote unquote, than mm-hmm. the paraben or whatever else it was that you are now excluding from your products and that ingredient list? So I think yes. that there's also this kind of consumer misconception that if you're taking something out, then suddenly a product is clean or suddenly it's healthy for you. And mm-hmm. I really respect what you were mentioning about science backed literature. And looking at ingredients efficacies in in research settings, because yeah. I have this, I always say this, I had a teacher in high school who always used to say that correlation is not causation. And I think about mm-hmm. that all the time, because when we talk about clean beauty or clean skincare, or like you were mentioning, uh, cleaning ingredients for your home, it's so easy to say this is better because you know, I, I don't feel as sick around it or I, and that's great. You know, I think anecdotal mm-hmm. evidence is fine. And if it makes people feel better, mm-hmm. that's fine. But without the regulation, there's no way to say if you're actually doing better for yourself and for your family. Right. Right. Yeah. I completely agree. And I also, what you said earlier really resonated with me about if you're taking away certain ingredients that are considered to be toxic, what are these other ingredients that are replacing them? And as dermatologists, we are seeing more issues from that. We are seeing issues because these more novel ingredients that haven't been tested as well that are used as preservatives, we're seeing them cause skin issues, whether it's contact dermatitis or other types of allergic reactions. And then we're seeing people who use products with no preservatives get like more bacterial infections or fungal infections on their skin. And it's, it's disturbing. (laughs) Interesting. Is there a clean skincare ingredient or even product in the clean skincare movement that you really appreciate for what it is, I suppose? 
When it comes to sunscreens, I think that there's a lot of demonization of chemical sunscreens. Like the old school sunscreens, there was PABA, which we don't use anymore. But more recently, there have been more issues with oxybenzone. What I appreciate with the clean beauty movement is that it's causing even mainstream brands to reevaluate what they're putting in their sunscreens. And we're seeing more brands exclude things like oxybenzone, which I appreciate. Interesting. Fascinating. I think that something you alluded to there, which was very interesting to me, is the clean beauty movement kind of forcing these bigger, more historic brands to reevaluate what they're doing. And I think of it similarly to like cruelty-free products or the no animal testing products, because in 2021, we have the technology to really prevent a lot of that animal testing. And and there's really not a need most of the time for animal testing, but it's something that hasn't really been, when when I think of animal testing and cruelty-free products and the activism behind that, I immediately think of like the early 2000s PETA activists throwing paint on a fur coat. Like that's what I think of as like big time animal activism. And it doesn't have to be that way anymore in the cosmetic space. So when I think about the clean beauty movement influencing other mainstream brands, I think of it the same way as this like kind of collective push without heavy activism. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I thought that was a good metaphor. So I'm really proud of yes, that one. Yes, that's great. I would love to hear a little bit too about Um, When we talk about traditional products, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, uh, retinol. I would love to get your take on retinol and over-the-counter retinols and perhaps the natural alternatives like uh, bakuchinol and and just your your thought on this whole anti-aging natural versus medical movement. Yes. So retinoids, probably after sunscreen, is like the second most studied anti-aging ingredient. And within the retinoid family, there's different kinds. There's like the active retinoids, which is what we see in prescriptions, or it's it's called retinoic acid, but it's traditionally referred to as tretinoin, which is generic retin-A. And then there's kind of cousins of it, like adapalene and tazeratine. And then, then there's retinol, which has to get converted into retinoic acid. And because it has to get converted, it's not the active form. And so it's actually not as irritating. The active form retinoic acid can be more irritating. And what it does is it works deeper on the collagen level to remodel the collagen. And that's how it can help smooth out fine lines and wrinkles. And it can help with skin texture, skin tone, because it increases skin cell turnover. So you're sort of getting rid of like the kind of older dead skin cells faster that don't need to be there. It also unclogs pores. That's how it helps with acne. Now, because it's been so well studied, it's so recommended by dermatologists just because we have seen the literature. We also see the transformation it makes in the skin of our patients. But, you know, there are issues with it. The oral form of retinoid is Accutane. It's oral. It's an oral retinoid. And we know with Accutane, there are definite birth defects. And, and which is, you know, that's why it's a big deal to be on that medicine. And so when it comes to retinoids, topical retinoids, we just recommend that people, you know, whoever wants to get pregnant or is pregnant to stay away from it altogether. That's the main issue that I see just from, at least from the scientific community with retinoids and retinols. I mean, the other issue is that they can potentially be irritating. And if people overuse it or use it incorrectly, it can damage your skin. I mean, you could have like raw skin from it if you're using it too, you know, incorrectly. 
And, and so that could be another reason why people can, may not be as big of a fan. Um, and there's certainly so many other ingredients that can help with anti-aging too. So you don't have to feel like you need to use a retinol or a retinoid. Bacuchiol is something that has gained popularity over the last few years. And is thought to be a retinol alternative and also really cool because it's safe to use during pregnancy. Now, more recently, I've just been reading a lot about how the Bacuchiol, the plant that the Bacuchiol ingredient is derived from is an endangered species. And so I'm like, oh, well, man, I, I was like, I was like loving recommending Bacuchiol, especially to all my pregnant patients. But I think that there are some companies in the works of creating like a synthetic form of it where we don't have to use up the plants. That's kind of hopeful. And I mean, but yeah, when it comes to anti-aging, there's a lot of other ingredients. So if, if retinoids scare you or they don't sit well on your skin, I mean, there's a lot other, of other things to choose from. That's fascinating that you mentioned Bacuchiol coming from an endangered plant. I haven't read about that, but now I'm going to go on like a deep dive of <laughs> trying to research that because I feel like it really goes to show that it's a double-edged sword. If you are making exactly. that change in one area, there is a side effect. So I think that's, yeah. you know, it's fascinating to think about in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The last thing I want to ask you, because you have such beautiful skin, you're glowing, you know, Thanks. all of the insider <laughs> secrets. What yeah. does your skincare routine look like on a regular day? Yes. So in the morning I wash my face and it's either with a gentle cleanser or just with cold water. I use cold water regardless, because I just use that to wake myself up, um, and then I use a vitamin C serum, um, which is probably the most well-studied antioxidant or, and it's, it's certainly, I think the most potent antioxidant that you can apply on your skin. And, and there have been a lot of studies to show the benefits of that. And then I apply a moisturizer if, if it's dry outside and it depends on my sunscreen too. And I also switch up with so many different products because I'm like testing and trying out different ones. But yeah, if my sunscreen's not moisturizing, I'll, I'll put a separate moisturizer on and then I'll add a sunscreen on top. That's my basic and I, my basic AM regimen. And I'll, I'll also use an eye cream too. I'm team eye cream. Now there's controversy out there. Some people are like, no, you don't need eye cream. Just use your moisturizer. But I do think that the the skin around the eyes is a little different from the rest of your face. Same with the neck. There's not as many oil glands. And so the skin is more delicate, it's thinner. And I think that, um, I, I don't know, I, I'm more of a fan of products that are made for that eyelid skin. Okay, in the evening, wash my face, but I'll alternate every other night or so with an exfoliating cleanser. And I always remove my makeup first with another product, whether it's micellar water or a cleansing balm. And then I'll, I'll wash with a gentle cleanser and mix it up with an exfoliating cleanser, a gentle exfoliating cleanser. <clears throat> and then I've been really into growth factors, which is another wonderful anti-aging ingredient. It's stem cell derived, and that's a whole nother controversial potential topic because um, there could be animal stem cells or human stem cells. <laughs> but anyways, um, but I think that it does wonders for your skin. And then I will follow that up with a retinoid and, you know, I switch up between retinols and prescription retinoids. And then I'll use a moisturizer. I look for a moisturizer that contains peptides. Yeah. Eye cream and a neck cream. 
And I think something that I love so much about your routine from what I'm hearing is that Mm -hmm. you have specific guidelines of what you're looking for in your products. Like saying, I look for Mm -hmm. a moisturizer that has peptides in it. Like, I think it, it really just goes to show how conscious you have to be of ingredient labels when you're purchasing things. Yeah. 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 No, thank you for noticing that. (laughs) Yeah. The last thing I'm going to ask you, I know I just said that was the last question, but I have one last Mm -hmm. question because you do advocate for this holistic healing. What do you think is the number one thing you do for your skin outside of products? I think that food plays a big role with skin health. And there are many scientific studies that actually have been done to show foods that can promote aging and foods that can actually really help prevent worsening wrinkles and even can potentially prevent skin cancer. In terms of foods that can promote more aging, the number one ingredient that's been studied in scientific literature is sugar, like processed sugar, just because of the way that it can bind to your collagen and cause the collagen fibers to become more rigid and and lose that kind of plumpness. And there have been other studies that have shown a correlation with animal derived products, whether it's dairy, animal fats. And then there's also, and speaking of fats, like processed fats, like processed vegetable oils. And then when it comes to foods that can help promote healthy skin, give you that glow, it's, it's mostly foods that are rich in antioxidants, um, which makes sense. What antioxidants do is bind to the unstable molecules that are a result of whatever outside stressor or trigger there is, whether it's UV rays or processed foods, these can cause the formation of what are called free radicals and free radicals are what cause damage to your DNA. So antioxidants bind to these unstable molecules, these free radicals and antioxidants can also do more in, you know, in skincare antioxidants can build collagen. So basically a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, it's as cliche as that sounds, um, there's something to it. And um, I also have noticed, and I've been doing this for like the last three years, and I don't even know if I want to share this because I'm, I don't know, because there's, there's no scientific evidence for it. It's just more anecdotal, but um, I do celery juice in the morning on an empty stomach and yeah, it's amazing for my uh, GI health. At least I'll tell you that it's awesome for my (laughs) keeping me regular, but I do feel more of a glow, just more energized everything when I do that too in the mornings. And then in terms of just other aspects of skin health, just ways to reduce stress is super important. Stress has definitely been correlated with aging in, I mean, it's been, and it's in the scientific literature as well. And so anything that you can do, I I really try to make it a habit to meditate and find ways to express gratitude every day. It's really hard. I, I, I personally still struggle with meditating. It's, it's really hard. Whenever I do find that flow, it's wonderful. And I also think that being with your loved ones, I know it's hard in COVID, but that's also such an amazing stress reliever. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. You are oh, yeah. honestly inspiring. I feel so good. Oh. I think that you have such a you have such a wonderful message. Like just this idea oh, that you. you can be really educated about what you're doing for your skin, but also being so mindful about other aspects of your life that manifest in your skin. And I just I just I love everything it is that you put out and everything that you stand for. Oh, thank you so much. Thank oh my goodness. Really no, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of Eco Chic with Dr. Mamina. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, I loved this conversation. I love Dr. Mamina. I love her content. I'm so glad I got the opportunity to speak with her. And I hope that you really enjoyed this episode too and learned a little something. If you enjoyed it, you can send this episode to a friend. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And you can follow this podcast, Eco Chic, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, I'm there. And I look forward to connecting with you on social. I've been sharing these little, like, IGTV video snippets of our conversations, and I've been really enjoying them, and I know that y'all enjoy them too. So I want to continue making more content out of these episodes and producing smaller, bite-sized content, you know, a la Dr. Mamina on social as well. So I look forward to connecting with you there and providing a little bit more education and a little bit more value. So I hope you're doing well. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.